Welcome to the AWPT Podcast, a safe space for personal trainers and coaches who want to learn, grow, and feel heard in the fitness industry. Each week, we'll bring you industry-relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today, I am joined with the amazing Alice, who is a dietitian based here in Sydney. And today, we are going to be talking all things mindset, food, and how, as coaches, we can approach the topic of nutrition and you know, clients' relationship with food in a better, more sustainable and healthy way. We're also going to be talking a little bit about um, how we can find the balance and navigate that line between helping clients achieve their nutrition goals, but also not perpetuating harmful diet culture um, rhetoric and also just harmful diet culture habits like yo-yo dieting and all of that stuff. So we're going to jump straight into it today. And I would love for Alice to just introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her, her story, what inspired you to become a dietitian in the first place. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat. Um, basically, so give you a bit of a rundown about who I am. Um, obviously, I'm a dietitian. Um, I'm a bit of a goof. You'll probably find out <laughs> soon enough. Um, I, I I don't really do, you know, I, I don't really go by the status quo. I'm, I'm a bit, you know, alternative in the way that I practice to an extent, which I think, um, yeah, I think it's important, especially within the space where we're talking about disordered eating, where we're talking about relationships with food, where we're talking about more of a holistic angle. You kind of can't really go by the book because everybody is different to an extent. So I guess that's that's who I am. I don't really go by the book in everything. Um, and then I guess, you know, growing up in Tassie, um, most of my life, I'm a bit of a adventure junkie. So I love traveling and, and going outside and doing all the cool stuff that, you know, I guess I've always done since since a kid. Um, and I also have a dog called Ziggy, who's my best mate in the entire world. He's such a legend. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I work online for myself in my own business, which is so epic, um, mostly with women, but also men as well, mainly in relation to, I guess, you know, their relationship with food, whether that be sort of disordered eating or whether that be a full-blown eating disorder. Um, but then I also do other bits and pieces with certain brands. Um, and I also have my own podcast. So do a bit of this, bit of that, but, um, love it. Absolutely love it. Amazing. A jack of all trades. Yes. No, I. <laughs> Master of none. <laughs> on the Instagram story several times. I've got my cat just sitting literally across. Oh. Me. Everyone's going to be joining in on this conversation today. <laughs> How long have you been working in the dynamics space? Yeah. So I've been working. As a dietitian, like a qualified dietitian for three years, I've been, I studied for five. Um, so I'm, you know, eight, nine, eight, nine, ten, maybe, I don't know, how many years out of school, who knows. Um, but it's interesting, like I, I never really wanted to study dietetics, but I think that as a child, I always was very interested in people, very interested in health, 
I remember when I was young for Christmas and for my birthday, I'd always ask my parents, like, can you get me a human body book? And it was basically like a book with like the anatomy of the human body and like how the mouth works and how the stomach works. I was so interested in that sort of stuff. And my family was used to say, oh, Alice, you'll become a doctor, like, like everybody else, blah, blah, blah. And um, so I actually went to school and I was studying through school, assuming that I would be a doctor when I'm older. And then I had a gap year after school. And I, I think that historically during school, I struggled a little bit with my relationship with food. Unfortunately, I went to all girls school and it was very much um, very competitive, I guess you could say, in sport, in academics and honestly probably subconsciously in terms of body body image and what they what everyone sort of ate so I kind of um took that on subconsciously and then there was a few things that happened when I was about 15 um that's um kind of uh I guess you could say um yeah made it very hard to control the external environment so I turned inwards and controlled my food so there are a few years there where I, I really struggled with my relationship with food and I became quite interested in food and naturally then I did subjects like nutrition um but I always thought I'd be a doctor I'd be a doctor and then I did my gap year and yeah I just realized I didn't want to do medicine at all and I don't know what I was thinking um and then applied for a degree at Deakin University in Melbourne and studied there for five years and then moved to Sydney started my own business here we are. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> so often, you know, the careers that we end up going down, especially when it is, you know, a client sort of a client mentor kind of relationship. This is something we'll talk, we've often talked about on the podcast is that as coaches or as mentors or as dietitians or people in sort of the health space, we want to become the kind of person that we needed as a teenager or as a child or when we got into the health space so it's so interesting that you say that sort of you work with uh people with sort of disordered eating patterns or people that have potentially some sort of unhealthy relationship with food and you know that was potentially the kind of person that you needed when you were in high school and you were trying to sort of control your food because that was what you could control yeah absolutely and it it is I, I think it's um for me that's one of my big big motivating factors is like I think about every time that I feel a bit like, oh, like, you know, am I a good clinician? Am I this? And like, naturally you just doubt that as a clinician, but I always think like, is this the sort of person that I wanted to be or wanted to, what it sort of needed, sorry, when I was struggling. And if it's a yes, like awesome, you know, I, I just feel like, especially in that time when you're really not young, you're naive, you just need a sort of a shining light, a guide to be like, okay, like, let's go down this path. Let's not, let's stay away from this sort of stuff. Or, you know, somebody who was there to support you and, and felt somewhat relatable. So that's always something in the back of my mind um, as I continue to practice as a dietitian. Yeah, I love that. And that definitely shows through in your content and your socials and, you know, the the brand and the um, ethos that you put out through, through your business. Um, and it's really clear to see that it has such a strong focus on, yeah, your client's relationship with food um, and challenging diet culture, whether that's, you know, one-on-one capacity, but also more broadly on things like your Instagram. Um, was that always, I guess, your ethos around food and how did you sort of evolve to get to that point? Yeah, I think like, so I wasn't, I didn't start studying dietetics um, with the idea that I would work in this space necessarily. It's definitely what got me into it. But I always thought like that's something that you have to do, you know, 10, 20 years down the track. Like it's not, I have to start in a hospital setting or I have to start in a community setting. And so I always just 
was told, no, Alice, like that's, you don't do that. You have to do something else before then. So I always had that in my mind. That I was like, oh, okay. I just had to work in hospital for a bit. And then I did placement in hospitals for like a year and a half. And I'll be honest, I hated it. <laughs> um, I just wasn't, I, I found it, I found it very hard because every person was different but I, every person got the same meal, every person got the same diet prescription and things. And I was just like, I don't understand. Like, but that person can't do that because of this. Or it was just very hard for me to navigate. And I think that um, as somebody who um, likes to connect with their clients or patients, um, I found it very hard to do that when you were just kind of in and out. So when I graduated, I was like, oh, okay. I'm not working in a hospital. I don't really want to work in a community setting. Private practice sounds great. I love this sort of work. So I, then I just kind of just um, worked within the private practice space. And I think then when you start working in private practice, when you start talking to people and you realize like, wow, this is actually a huge issue, it kind of just like naturally evolves from there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree and understand where you're coming from in terms of that hospital sort of setting. I think that happens with a lot of uh, clinicians or whether that's, you know, in the food space or in the physio space or in the sort of the training space, you, you sort of start in that um, hospital setting or clinical setting because you have to as part of your prac. And then it's such a revolving door of people. And also it's always people that are already sick or unwell or sort of at the, at the bottom of their, journey or at the bottom of their health and I think often when you go into the the health space or the health industry it's because you're wanting to optimize people's health and I think a lot of people realize oh no I want to get to people before they get to this point before they get to the point of being hospitalized so that they can you know optimize their health and make it the best that they can be as opposed to just like not being ill anymore (laughs) that's exactly right especially when it comes to eating disorders like you need to catch them before it happens or at least before it gets to a point where they're hospitalised because that is that is very, very hard to come from or uh, we'll come back from, I guess. I think one of the the common themes that we talked about today but also that it's very clear to see on social media, um, even though sometimes I think, oh, we've gotten past this, surely. And then I see another person posting about like, how to lose 10 kilos in 10 weeks, eat this salad. And I'm like, hasn't it been 10 years? Like, how are we still here? And there are so many, like, nutritional fads and diet myths um, floating around social media. How do you cut through the noise and, and or the common concerns, I suppose, that people come to you with? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm laughing because you're so right. Like, you, you know, and I say this all the time, I think, oh, great like we're moving on from this and then one day I open my Instagram and I'm like are you serious like what and we're definitely getting better there is no doubt about it everyone you know if we think about our generation the generation before this like we are chalk and cheese but there's still so much to go I think that um, with my clients in particular the one thing I would say is a a pretty like common denominator is just plain confusion what to believe what not to believe what to take with a grain of salt versus fact it is very hard and I'm confused sometimes I'm like wait what like I'm constantly doing research and looking at things like is this true is this not true and I can't imagine somebody who's not really privy to nutrition or educated to read journal articles I can't imagine how confused they would feel and how drowned in all of this noise they would feel so 
that would be definitely the number one thing people, I guess, who I see struggle with. Um, And then I guess the other thing would be just not being able to because of maybe history of dieting, restricting and things, not being able to listen to what their body needs and be intuitive with what their body needs. And it happens a lot where if we go on diets or if we, you know, count calories for an extended period of time, we'll lose a lot of weight, our internal body cues kind of, um, yeah, they, they stop working to the point that they need to be working. And so we, we basically, as a, as a clinician and, and with my client, we work on being able to retune that and actually being able to act accordingly. So I'd say those are the big things, not being able to listen to their body. Um, very, very uh, rightly so, I guess, because of their history of dieting and then also just being plain confused as to what even is healthy these days. Yeah, 100%. I think even as coaches and as as you said, there's so much information out there and, you know, often it's coming from people who do present as an expert in their field and as an expert in that space. And so it's really hard to know what to believe and how to cut through the noise and then people that aren't educated to begin with, you know, you can't you can imagine or you can see how people get to this point where they rock up and you know they're like okay so I've started intermittent fasting okay <laughs> why <laughs> yeah you know what and I think you you asked this question before um was about like how do you like how do you teach a person whether to take something on whether not to take something on and I would say that um the, the first thing to recognize is that no diet is perfect for every single person on this earth. So if somebody is telling you this is the right diet for everybody, then that is red flag. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, the other thing is like, if, for example, it tells you or the diet tells you to eliminate certain food groups in particular for no apparent reason, like obviously if you have celiac disease, eliminating gluten is really important. But if you are general healthy population, eliminating food groups big, big red flag. Um, And then I guess if that diet, for example, has these big um, or sort of promotes um, these big changes. So like, you know, go on this diet for two weeks and you lose 10 kilos, big red flag as well. Um, And um, uh, yeah, I would say that those things would be the the things that I would tell my clients just to look out for and be wary of um, because they can definitely, yeah, we know that diet isn't a hard and fast rule. We know that there's not one one cure, one one diet for anybody. But when these sort of things prop up, yeah, mm-hmm. just keep an eye on it. Absolutely. And I think it's our job as coaches and as um, sort of leaders in this space to be educating our clients on what those red flags are and how they can best navigate it. And I think it can be hard in the health and fitness space and even in the coaching space I'd imagine I mean I don't know how many um clients you've worked with that are actually like working in that industry especially as personal trainers I know I've experienced it massively it can be really easy to get swept up in this sort of in our version of a yo-yo diet which is sort of this like cutting bulking cutting bulking um and I think then that becomes tricky to then um, embody for your clients as well when you're you're just you're doing the same yo-yo diet but masking it 
in a different word. Oh, yeah, like you're spot on. Absolutely. Um, And I guess the way that I practice in terms of navigating that, like, and I see actually, interestingly, I see a lot of dietitians and a lot of nutritionists and a lot of PTs. So, you know, there are actually a lot of people who are in this space who also struggle with their relationship with food and they don't want to project that onto their clients, hence why they see dietitians. But um, in, I guess, in the diet space, you know, we, we think of diet, you know, if we think of diet, we think oh, keto diet, you know, like teas and things like that. But there are actually a lot of things that people do that we don't even realize are a um, reflection of diet culture. Like, you know, the bulking and the cutting, like, yes, there's reasons why people do it. And yes, it does work. But to be honest, that is also a form of disordered eating to an extent. So it is really hard to navigate that and really hard to, to, to I guess, the fine line between it being like just a really short, okay, cool, get it done kind of um, behavior. And then that perpetuating into disordered eating habits and maybe even even disorders as well. Mm. And that's sort of what I want to bring you on here to talk about today is, you know, navigating that line or finding the line or the balance as coaches working with clients, particularly working with female clients, um, finding that balance between helping them achieve their goals, whether that's, you know, trying to put on weight, lose weight, look a certain way, feel strong, um, anything like that, performance-based goals, and not sort of perpetuating those, you know, sneaky little diet culture habits or routines or mindset um, that has crept into the health and fitness space Mm. so I guess with weight loss right and like if we intentionally lose weight through restriction that is a form of dieting and so I would say that for somebody who has that goal and like if you want to have that goal that's okay like I'm not a dietitian I work with I guess the non-diet approach but if that is their goal okay whatever but how I would, I guess, navigate that as a dietitian would be focusing on health behaviors versus focusing on any sort of weight. So what I mean by that is if this person came, comes to me and like, Alice, look, I want to lose 10 kilos. I'll be here. Okay. Firstly, why? <laughs> Firstly, do you have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders? Because if that's the case, then we really need to be really gentle here and compassionate. And then also what approach have you done something in the past like have you is this like the third second you know 10th diet you've been on um what works what doesn't work and then also going okay let's do a bit of an intervention let's do a little bit of an inquiry as to what your behaviors are right now why you might be for example finding it very hard to lose that weight is that weight you even need to lose or is it a reflection of your poor body image or maybe diet culture and then trying to sort of like delve into it a little bit deeper rather than just be like, okay, cool, let's go on a calorie restriction. Because who knows, that person might have been on a calorie restriction for 10 years and their metabolic rate's like so, so low. They also don't have their period. They've also got an eating disorder. You know, it's really, really hard to to, to touch that um, just on the surface level. Um, the other thing I would say is that oftentimes, like let's, I'll give you an example. Like if there is somebody who comes to me who's, you know, who wants to lose weight to support their health, for example, then their intention, I guess, is one that is a little bit more kind than I want to lose weight because I want to fit into my size eight jeans, 
mm, you know, there's a little bit of difference there. And the other thing as well is that if they come to me and they're like, yes, I want to lose weight. I restrict my food Monday to Friday and then I binge on Saturday and Sunday. So, okay, let's start incorporating food back into our diet Monday to Friday so then we don't feel more inclined to binge on the weekend. And maybe the secondary outcome of that would be losing weight because they're not overeating drastically on the weekend. So usually that's how I would approach it. Yeah, so it's it's definitely more about the, you know, the conversation and really asking the questions that are going to delve deeper as opposed to just handing out this stock standard. Okay, here's your calorie deficit. Let me calculate that for you. Yeah. Um, which I think too, as personal trainers, there's often a bit of a gap, I think, between, you know, the education given as a personal trainer or in and around nutrition um, is is more to do with, you know, macros and um, energy in versus energy out as opposed to those sort of small intricacies. And I know that the AWPT female-specific nutrition course goes a lot deeper into those different intricacies. Um, but something I see a lot is personal trainers handing out these meal plans or these um, calorie sort of goals when they're not necessarily qualified to do so um, as opposed to referring on to a dietitian or referring on to a nutrition and so I suppose we could talk too about like how and I suppose in what way do you think the health and fitness industry um, plays a role in you know perpetuating this this diet culture and I guess in your opinion where should that line be drawn when it comes to trainers delivering nutritional guidance in the first place yeah very good question I'll, I'll answer the second part first um so the second part is like where's the line and it is so great it is so great I don't even I can't even see it like it is so hard to navigate that because as a personal trainer you're taught I guess the, the bread and butter of nutrition you're not really taught how to counsel people you're not taught about medical um uh, I guess sort of the, the biochemistry of the body from a medical Ill, like from an illness or disease state so what I mean by that is you know you're not taught how to give a diet plan for somebody who has type 2 diabetes or who has PCOS or who has you know um high cholesterol so that is I guess the difference between a dietitian and somebody who's a nutritionist or nutritionist, sorry, or a PT. So then I guess if you use that information, okay, if you have a client who comes to you and says, Hey, I want to lose weight, but I have type two diabetes, then that would definitely be something to pass on to somebody else, like a dietitian who's trained in, I guess, illnesses or ailments. Um, the other thing as well is, you know, if they're not sure, if they're a little bit, mm, I don't know if this is the right person for me. I don't know if I, this person needs more intervention. Just, pass it on like it's better to be safe than sorry that's all that's I that's what I always say um but <clears throat> I guess what I would say with whether like especially when it comes to essentially PTs this is how sorry, I'm going around the bush here because it's this is like literally what I'm saying I'm like I'm so gray but PTs I would say as a sort of general rule can prescribe basic diet um, uh, advice that can be found through the Australian Dietary Guidelines. So eat your veggies, eat your carbohydrates, eat your protein, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner, snacks, reduce alcohol, that sort of standard stuff that you can find on the you know, Australian government websites. 
if there's somebody who might have ailments or diseases or illnesses or relationship with foods a little bit challenged, then that's where a dietitian can come in because they have education in motivational interviewing, counselling, biochemistry, illnesses, diseases, and these sort of areas that can be a little bit hard to navigate as a single PT and shouldn't be navigated by a single PT because I guess that's not fair on either parties. Um, the other bit of the question that you asked was, um, what was it like? Um, in what way does the health and fitness industry play a role in perpetuating diet culture? Yes. Um, so I would say that, I mean, with diet culture, right, diet culture is essentially um, a these sort of set of ever-changing myths around food and exercise and body. And there are, I guess, ever-changing because it's cultural, right? Like, it, you know, 10 years ago, it was different to in 10 years' time. And so that's what I would say that diet culture is. I would say that the health and fitness industry definitely do perpetuate to an extent. And there's no denying that, you know. Fitzbo, like skinny diets, clean, like all these sorts of things, although they are normal to an extent within what we see in marketing, they're not actually, sorry, are they common? They're not normal. And restricting like that is not normal, although it is common. So things like, you know, no pain, no gain, counting calories, clean eating, do, do this run, you'll burn X amount of calories, therefore you can eat X amount of calories. Like, this whole idea of this ideal body can be achieved through simple willpower, like all these sorts of stuff absolutely do perpetuate, I guess, the, um, the diet culture. Um, and, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very, very hard. It's very hard because then that's sort of sometimes projected onto, I guess, the people that we see or marketing or even food labels like this morning I went to the supermarket and there was a food label about like guilt-free something and I was like are you serious <laughs> yeah but yeah it's um yeah I hope that answered that question yeah definitely and I think with you know the, the fitness culture in particular um and you know this whole idea of perpetuating diet culture within marketing and, and within you know rhetoric within marketing it it continues because it works. Um, yeah. That fear mongering and it, and as I said, it works. I've seen both of the gyms that I work out of um, have been putting out, you know, emails today saying like burn off those Christmas calories or, you know, it's the whole sort of um, summer body ready or all of this kind of stuff. And it, they continue to do it because it continues to bring in, bring yeah, in money. Oh, well, I do, maybe I do need to bring out, like, burn off those summer calories or I'm going to be eating a lot over Christmas. What do I do? Or, you know, I'm going to be in a bikini this summer, not going to the gym. Um, same with, you know, personal trainers. Using that kind of rhetoric of get shredded by doing this ab workout or by, you know, buying my ebook. People continue to do it because it works. Slowly, we are seeing a change in businesses using um, wording and rhetoric that is more inclusive, that is more, you know, health optimizing as opposed to restrictive. Um, I suppose when it comes to you and your, you talked a little bit about um, motivational interviewing and, you know, working with mindset and food and having those conversations and delving deeper what are some of the ways I suppose that you 
do that? Do you use with your clients? Um, do you give them journal prompts? Do you do it in your one-on-one check-ins and you have those sort of conversations and see where it leads you? How do you go about delving um, and and working with, you know, the mind, I suppose, as opposed to just the body? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think that um, the first step for anything is that, sort of awareness and getting curious with my client like me and my client we're on the same team let's get curious together and let's explore this together rather than kind of just looking from the sort of superficial outside view actually going okay so you know let's pretend that this person comes to me and she's got a a poor relationship with it's really challenged we the first thing we do is go okay when did this sort of start what's going on here? Is it because, you know, your mom maybe had a poor relationship with food? Is it because maybe you've been through multiple, multiple gyms that have really pushed diet culture? So starting to explore and becoming aware of not only the why, but also the how, like how is that perpetuated? You know, is it, are you restricting certain food groups? Are you putting rules in certain types of foods? Are you, are all your goals very weight centric? Do you have sort of um, maybe limiting beliefs or core beliefs that stem from your childhood? Obviously, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't necessarily go into anything like cognitive behavioral therapy or or, um, dialectical behavioral therapy. But it is really important for me as a dietitian who works in this space to touch on mental health, to touch on mindset, because at the end of the day, it all has to do with that. Like it is all to do with that, especially when it comes to eating disorders, it's a mental illness. If I didn't address the mind, that would be very, very, very bad of me because I'm not actually addressing the problem. Mm-hmm. So um, that's sort of what I would do to start off with. And, and then maybe, for example, we would go into things like challenging certain food rules. So let's say that somebody has a, a fear of I don't know, carbohydrates. And mm-hmm. firstly, okay, like where's this fear come from? Oh, I was on the keto diet 10 years ago, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Let's actually explore carbohydrates. What do you think it is about carbohydrates that are scary or we can't have? Okay, understandable. All right, cool. Now let's actually show you what they actually do. Carbohydrates do X, 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 X. Okay, now let's challenge that. I want you to have a potato at lunch. Okay, have a potato at lunch. Oh, what happened? Nothing. Cool. Let's challenge it again. So it takes a lot of time to do that because we need to build up the confidence that that person can do it again and nothing is going to happen despite their fear. Um, other things like that I mentioned before around sort of um, turning inward. So hunger and fullness, like maybe, for example, they have been on a diet for 10 years and they're not actually able to tell whether they're hungry or whether they're full because a calorie counter has told them that the whole time, 10 years, you know. So then actually we would do something like a hunger fullness scale. So it's a scale from one to 10. And basically we use that to reflect on maybe how hungry we are before we start eating and how full we are after we start eating. And then what we would do is to practice other things like maybe eating regularly. Maybe they haven't actually eaten regularly for a time um, for a period of time. Maybe they're doing intermittent fasting, which is also key to their ability to check in with their hunger and with their fullness. So there's lots of things we could do. Um, things like, you know, a lot of compassion work and a lot of black and white, all or nothing thinking comes in as well. Um, and oftentimes perfectionism um, is shredded throughout. So it's quite um, dirty water sometimes, but it is really important to do it with a trained professional because it can be quite hard. Absolutely. And as you said, as you sort of said throughout, no one personal, one client is the same. Not only are they coming to you with, you know, different goals to begin with, but they come from different backgrounds, they have different limiting beliefs around food, they have, you know, 
different relationships with food that might have come from different family upbringings, you know, different cultures that are going to affect the different ways that people eat. Also different routines. I think this is often um, something that whether it's, you know, trainers or untrained people, full stop, um, <laughs> um, that, you know, go out giving these sort of stock standard meal plans or have this black and white view of nutrition um, or food, I guess, not necessarily diets, but I suppose like ways that people choose to eat. Like mm. I, you know, one of the things that I do with clients come to me asking about something like if we go to intermittent fasting um, is again, asking why they want to do it in the first place where they've heard this idea oh, intermittent fasting is going to make me lose weight. But also, you know, it's not necessarily a black and white of intermittent fasting is good or bad. It's okay, but will it actually work not only for your goals but also for your lifestyle, for example? Like if people are shift workers in a, um, versus, you know, nine to five, if people are working, you know, nonstop in the morning and then, you know, wouldn't have time to eat in the, in the first place, then maybe something like intermittent fasting could work better for them in terms of adherence um it's having that i suppose awareness of the uh, intricacies and the what's the word i'm looking for the personalization of like yeah. the need for personalization yeah it's not a blanket yeah diet nutrition and of of diets in general mm-hmm. about getting curious and it's about asking those questions and helping them find a version of eating that you know is going to work for them and not again that's right yeah that's right and you know you're exactly right with the whole um intermittent fasting and I, that's why i don't prescribe meal plans like i literally don't like i refuse because i, I give ideas like of course okay let's brainstorm some breakfast ideas lunch ideas dinner ideas blah 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 but you know, I don't know what you're doing on Saturday night. Like, I don't know what you do at 8 a.m. in the morning. Like, yes, we can kind of find out, but every day is different. And so you can't expect our days in terms of diets to be the same. Um, and especially, you know, for people who are working, for people who are mothers, people who are fathers, for people who are busy, 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 busy. We can't just say, hey, eat this for four weeks and you'll lose X amount of kilos and you know, and, and that's just what you need to do. And it's like, well, what happens if, you know, what happens if someone gets really sick for a week? Or what happens if, you know, Monday to Thursday looks okay, but then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like, you know, we don't know what you're doing. And so it is very hard. And I, I, I don't think that diet plans or meal plans work for a majority of people. Meal ideas, meal inspiration, yes. Um, but meal plans, not so much. One of the things that I love to do and one of the features on or socials is breaking down nutritional labels and, and sort of discussing, you know, this idea of good food and bad food and sort of challenging the food marketing that's out there by actually looking at what, what actually exists on this packet and teaching people how to read it. Um, I think stuff like food tracking can sometimes get a really bad rap around sort of leading to you know disordered eating practices and I think it definitely can play a role in that but equally just like the intermittent fasting and just like other sort of diets there's um there's different I suppose approaches or they can work for different people depending on what their pre-existing food is I suppose as you said before you 
wouldn't necessarily bring on it. You wouldn't have a client and they say, oh, I want to lose weight. And so you give them a calorie without asking those questions. But, um, or in the same way, if someone is wanting to sort of know about food, you don't automatically have them, okay, here, start tracking on my fitness file. If they have a history of calorie and restriction and eating around food, but, but with another client that is, has quite a healthy relationship with food, but just wants to understand nutrition a little bit more and understand what foods, you know, are made up of, of certain different nutritional qualities, then perhaps tracking could be better suited to them. What's mm-hmm. your sort of opinion on calorie counting and, and food tracking? Is that something that you use with your clients at all? <sighs> I probably would say most of the time, like majority, no, I don't. Um, I think that there definitely are people who can do it in a very healthy way, without a doubt, like no denying it. There are most people though, probably can't unless um, they're very, very, very self-aware. So what I mean by that is like they realise when things get a little bit, you know, on, on the sort of amber red flag, um, terms of behaviors, then they know, okay, this is not healthy for me. I need to stop. Um, at the end of the day, tracking, you know, and knowing calories, not a requirement to necessarily track to lose weight. You can lose weight through so many other means aside from tracking calories or tracking macronutrients. I definitely think that some people find it really useful to understand, okay, like this food has protein in it. This one has more protein in it. This one has but I also think that you can get that information through other means as well. So it's not a hard and fast no, it's not a hard and fast yes. Um, it's very, very personal. Um, but I guess I'm quite biased in that majority of the clients I see have poor relationships with food. So yeah. I would probably, you know, I guess 9.5 times out of 10 not prescribe tracking as a way to lose weight or as a way to educate. Yeah, I'd love to know, I suppose, what, alternatives you like to educate those clients that isn't in the form of tracking do you do um I suppose like food diaries do you do educational kind of consults where you're like this is like let's talk about carbs today let's talk about protein today how do you find or what do you find some of the better more health optimizing um alternatives like tracking to get that same result Mm. so I usually say let's take numbers out of it and let's turn to healthy behaviors so as an example if like I had a client who doesn't eat breakfast has a big lunch a big dinner and then you know overeats at dessert time let's say let's start establishing more regular eating maybe let's start filling up our plates with more vegetables and maybe fewer refined carbohydrates or fewer really really fatty meats and let's start bringing our mindful awareness to our food experiences like if this person eats when they're watching TV or eats when they're on the computer at work, let's start building on those sort of habits. And maybe, maybe we will resu- it will result in weight, weight loss. But I will always focus on healthy behaviours before anything else, before telling them what to do in terms of numbers or, you know, caloric intakes. Usually that's how I'd approach it. Yeah, I love that. And I love the sort of the fact that the client is then becoming aware and developing those healthy habits that will then, you know, as a consequence potentially lead to the goal of weight loss or weight gain or whatever it is that their goal, you know, or whatever it is that they come to to begin with. That's something that I find that I try and do with my 
like with my clients is if they come to me and this is I suppose part of the reason um, or part of the inspiration for this this podcast is if a, a trainer or a personal trainer has a client that comes to them saying I want to lose weight or I once had someone come to me and be like I want to lose 10 kilos in eight weeks and that is mm-hmm. me and my values as a <laughs> as a trainer um, or as a coach anything like that and so what would be your I guess next step had a client come to you being like I want to lose 10 kilos in eight weeks help me <laughs> um but that obviously doesn't align with you your goals your practices you know your ethos anything like that and your goal is to you know help them towards that goal or think that they're going towards that goal but then as a clinician you're like okay here are my goals <laughs> yeah yeah I, I feel like um so if they reached out to me and like I want to lose this weight in x amount of days or whatever I would first say like I don't approach like I would let them know how I work um I try to tell and like most people I work with know how I work that's why they kind of reach out to me but then if they did want to do that then I would go okay well firstly losing that much weight in eight weeks is actually really 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 quick like and then I'd tell them, okay, if you lose that much weight, you're probably losing a lot of muscle. Muscles are metabolic or like muscles are metabolic um, tissue. So it's going to, you know, help us build a metabolic rate. And so losing that would actually result in us lowering our metabolic. So educating them through that, understanding their why. Why do you want to lose 10, 10 kilos in eight weeks? Is it because, you know, Artie Karen told you to? Like, okay, that's probably not going to sustain for the next eight weeks, that motivation. And then actually doing a little bit of um, intervention in terms of what their behaviours are. So if they are, for example, really, really, really restricting their sort of diet and then overeating in the evening, for example, I know I keep using this, but it's so common, um, then actually understanding that and telling them, okay, or educating them, okay, well, like, let's actually start building and then we can sort of start refining as we go along. But most of the time it's building those healthy behaviors and also understanding their why and them understanding their why rather than it being somebody else's why or marketing's why or social media's why or diet culture's why yeah no I love that and I suppose that is like the perfect way to sort of round up this episode when it comes to that big question of how as coaches we can sort of walk that line between helping clients with their goals but not perpetuating that diet culture is asking the questions that are going to help them dismantle it in the first place as well and so you know as coaches staying true to you know your value and your ethos as a coach or as a clinician or anything like that and helping them and educating your client around food around what their relationship is why they have the views they do why they have the goals that they do in the first place and whether they actually believe in those goals um to begin with or whether they just think that's what they need to be doing um so i really really love all of that advice i know all of the coaches on here and nutritionists on here and business people on this podcast are going to get so much value from this it's such the topic of nutrition and the topic of food and mindset I think is so multifaceted and these kind of conversations are really important to dismantle that rhetoric around food um, and making the health and fitness industry a healthier place to be as well. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think you got like, you know, this podcast is such a prime example of, you know, the, the improvement that we've made in this space. So it's it's phenomenal. And I guess a lot say is like, if you're unsure, you know, reach out to a dietitian. Like just, you know, if there's one you follow on Instagram, be like, hey, like I have somewhere like this. Is this appropriate for me or should I, you know, refer on or like, you know, we don't bite. <laughs> we all want to support everyone as clinicians, as, as PTs, as coaches. Our aim, our ethos is to help other people. And so let's all do it together. Exactly. And it's the same with, you know, referring out to physios as a, as a personal trainer when something is beyond your scope of expertise. Um, doing the same thing with, you know, nutritionists and dietitians. And as you said, building up this, I guess, um, community of health practitioners to help the client um, and help them achieve their goals when something is beyond your scope. You've talked about earlier today as well, when you reach that point of beyond scope of expertise. So thank you so much for coming on the AWPP podcast today. We absolutely mm-hmm. Loved this conversation. Um, is there anything that you have coming up in the works or that you would like to leave us with in terms of, you know, referring clients on or anything like that? Um, in the works in like with my business or just? Anything. <laughs> Podcast with your business if you've got any. Yeah. E-books. Oh, well. <laughs> that's very nice I like find it really uncomfortable plugging myself so um I guess like with um with my work I I see clients completely online so I'm open to seeing a whole range of clients so if you if you have a client for example that you're like oh I think Alice might be good for this like please reach out my I'll I'll get you guys to just like put my email or something in the show notes um but then you can reach out on Instagram as well it's just my name Alice Bleakman underscore dietitian and we also have me and my one of my best mates still podcast called the best bits where we just talk about real raw honest things that you know young women in particular should talk about and we wish we talked about when we were young so that's um up and coming and we're actually really really excited for the new year about sort of what's involved with that but um, I have a couple of ebooks as well on my website, so you can check them out. And there's some cool things I got in the works at the moment, but um, I don't know when they will come into fruition, so I won't share. <laughs> so I don't put too much pressure myself. But yeah, you can just follow me on Instagram, email me, yeah, ask any questions. I'm an open book. Amazing. And as I said, all of those will be in the show notes um, of this episode as well. Those ebooks look amazing with the, she's got an ebook all about how you can incorporate the scraps in your fridge to make healthy, delicious meals. Um, so that's something that is going to be super valuable for, you know, all of us as coaches, but also as to refer on to our clients as well. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Have a lovely rest of your week to those listening and we'll all chat soon. Thank you for listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.